You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, January 12, 2020. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, uh, yesterday, I, with a number of you, was at the Jeremy Camp slash Franklin Graham event in Jacksonville. Uh, Maybe you saw pictures uh, on the news. There were lots and lots of people there. Uh, But as I was listening to Jeremy Camp singing, I was remembering that um, just a couple days ago, I was at a Guitar Center store. And when I was in the Guitar Center store, I noticed off in one side, they have these little practice rooms that you can uh, rent out, particularly for the purpose of music lessons. And so they have uh, various people who will teach you how to play keyboards or piano or bass or drums Uh, And so you can go into these practice rooms for lessons. And so as I was watching Jeremy Camp play on the stage and watching all of the really experienced musicians who were doing an excellent job on the stage, I thought about how funny it would be if Jeremy Camp walked into the Guitar Center store and walked up to the counter and said, I'd like some guitar lessons, please. What kind of reaction do you think he might get from the person at the counter in the store? It would be a little confused, right? Because the person at the counter is going to think, well, this is Jeremy Camp. This is a famous musician who's cut lots of records and has lots of songs playing on the radio. Why would he come here for music lessons? Maybe he could teach a master class for us. He would be the teacher, not the student. It would be confusing if Jeremy Camp walked into the store and wanted guitar lessons. And this, I think, is similar to why John the Baptist scratches his head when Jesus approaches him asking to be baptized in the gospel lesson today. John has been out in the wilderness baptizing people for quite a long time, and Jesus comes to John in the wilderness and says, hey, I want to be baptized by you. And this is what John's reaction is. John says, this is Matthew 3, verse 14. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a passage that confused me for a very long time. And it's an event that confused even John the Baptist himself. Why would Jesus come to John the Baptist to be baptized? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. First of all, John's entire ministry has been to prepare the way for the Messiah to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he knows 
that Jesus is the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes to him to be baptized, he's looking at Jesus and saying, wait a second, I'm preparing the way for you. You're not preparing the way for me, so I should be baptized by you, not you baptized by me. A second reason it might be a little bit of confusion is that just a little bit before this, this is what John says of his own ministry. He says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is speaking to the people who were coming out to be baptized by him. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what we see here is, is two things. First of all, the baptism of the one he's preparing the way for is greater than his baptism. And Jesus is the one who is greater. Therefore, again, John should be baptized by Jesus, not the other way around. But the second confusing thing is that John says, I baptize you with water for what? For repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is when we realize that we've been going in the wrong direction with regard to sin, and we say, I'm going to stop, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go back towards God. So repentance is when we turn away from sin and turn back to God. Now, if you know anything about Christian theology, you'll know about Jesus that he was without sin, right? So why would Jesus participate in John's baptism, which is a baptism with water for repentance? Jesus had nothing to repent of. He had no sin. He didn't have to return to God because he never left God in the first place. So if Jesus was without sin, why would he need to be baptized? All of these things are just a little bit confusing in this passage. Jesus was without sin, and he didn't need to be baptized to remove his sin. But there are two other important things that happen in this passage that I think have a lot to do with why Jesus was baptized, as he said, to fulfill all righteousness. The first thing is we see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus in the form of a dove. And the second thing is we hear the voice of God the Father speaking And so we'll talk about those two things. First, we'll talk about the voice of God the Father. It was the second thing that happened, but we're going to talk about it first. So it says in verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And in a couple other Gospels, it adds, Listen to him. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is God the Father declaring to everyone who will listen that Jesus is his Son. This is the reason why this event is always remembered on this first Sunday of Epiphany. We read it from a different gospel each year, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But always on this Sunday, we're reading about the baptism of Jesus by John. And the reason is that the word Epiphany means uh, a revelation, or it's like the, the light bulb coming on in a dark room. It reveals things that are hidden. And so this, perhaps more than anything else, reveals to us who Jesus really is. He's not just some guy from the backwoods town of Nazareth. He is the Son of God. God the Father. And he has been the Son of God since before the foundation of the world. He is eternally begotten of the Father. And so when the voice of the Father declares from heaven, this is my beloved Son, he wants everyone to know exactly who Jesus is. I mentioned last week 
how the star in the sky at the time of Jesus' birth was kind of like a proud father putting a yard sign in the, in the yard when a son or daughter is born, saying, it's a boy or it's a girl. The father is just so proud that he has to tell the world about this birth that has just taken place in his family. This event is like a proud father who has seen his son grow to maturity and is impressed with who his son has become. Think about something more like a, a graduation day when the, the son has, has grown up in so many ways and now the father is ready to launch his son out into the world so proud of who he has become. And this is what is happening for Jesus on this day. The God the Father is launching Jesus out into the world. There's very little we know about Jesus' life between the time of his birth and this story. The fact that this is in chapter 3 says a lot about, uh, about how little we know about Jesus because most of what's in the Gospels happens between the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River and Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. We know very little from the time he was born until this point. But we know that God the Father was proud of who his son was and that he was ready for Jesus to begin his earthly ministry. Hear these words from Isaiah that we read today and just imagine a proud father speaking them over his son. Imagine God the Father speaking these words over Jesus. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. God the Father is sending Jesus out to bring justice to the nations. He's proud of his son, and he wants the whole world to know who he is. So that's one thing that happens just after Jesus is baptized. The other thing is that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. We see this in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So this is the second thing that happens. It's actually the first thing that happens. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus from the heavens like a dove. And in the passage we read from Acts today, we hear a little bit more about what this means. Peter is speaking to Cornelius, who is a a Greek person uh, in Cornelius's house. He was a Gentile, and Peter is sent to Cornelius's house to preach the gospel to him and eventually to baptize him. And so this is what Peter says as he's proclaiming the gospel to him. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So if the Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove, does that mean that the Holy Spirit was not with him before this moment? Or does this mean that God was not with him before this moment? Absolutely not. God the Father and the Holy Spirit were with Jesus from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world. Three members of the Trinity were in perfect community with one another. What does it mean? Well, N.T. Wright, who's an Anglican bishop and a, a, a notable Bible scholar, says this about this passage. He says, Jesus became in a new and deeper way what he already was. 
much as a king's firstborn son, born to rule after his father, would still be anointed for the task when the time came. So think about, for a moment, the the royalty in England, the monarchy. If you remember, probably most of you don't remember when Queen Elizabeth was coronated as the monarch, but you've probably seen a video of it. I've seen a video of it. I've seen the, the scene depicted again in various movies over the years. Elizabeth became the queen when her father, the king, died. But in the line of succession, everybody knew that she was the one who would become the queen. So when her father died, there was no question that Elizabeth was the new queen of England. Just like if Elizabeth were to die today, Prince Charles would become the king of England. There's no doubt in anyone's mind about that because the line of succession of the monarchy is set in stone. Everybody knows exactly who the next successor to the monarch is. So when Queen Elizabeth dies, there's no question about who the next monarch is going to be. And if Charles can't do it for some reason, there's no question about who his successor is going to be, right? And yet, when the time comes at the coronation, there's always an important part of the ceremony where the monarch is anointed with holy oil by the Archbishop of Canterbury at least in the case of the English monarchy. Other countries have other monarchies. They have somewhat different customs. But anointing is an important part of many coronation ceremonies. And so in addition to the political symbol of a crown being placed upon the monarch's head, there is this religious symbol of being anointed with oil, specifically the oil of chrism, which is the oil that we use in baptism. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this anointing of the new monarch is to strengthen them and empower them to do the work that God has called them to do in this important role as king or queen over their country. There's no question that the king or queen is the king or the queen. There's no question before and after the coronation that that is the designated person who is to be king or queen. But that ceremony says something important to all the people about who that person is. It's a decisive moment that everyone can look back upon and remember. In the Psalms today, we read about the anointing and and coronation of King David. And it says, I have found David my servant, this is God declaring this over him, with my holy oil have I anointed him. My hand shall hold him fast and my arms shall not strengthen him. My enemies shall not be able to do him violence. The son of wickedness shall not hurt him. I will smite his foes before his face and strike down those who hate him. So what we see here is God anointing Jesus with the Holy Spirit himself in the form of a dove coming down upon him as a symbol for everyone that this is the one. This is the Messiah, which means anointed one. This is the one whom God has chosen for this important work that's been prophesied for so many years and through so many pages of the Old Testament. This is the one. He's here. But what does this all mean for us? That's some nice theology, but what does it mean for us as believers today, 2,000 years later? Well, for one thing, We can go back to John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism was a mere symbol. It was an outward expression of a person's repentance. It was a decision that that person had made to turn away from sin and turn back to God, and then they marked that with this outward sign of baptism as a way to declare to everyone that they had repented. 
declare even to themselves that they had repented. But Jesus takes the symbolism of baptism, of John's baptism, and he enriches it. Now, instead of being something that we do, baptism is something that God does in us. Instead of being something that we do, an outward sign of something that we have done, it is now an outward sign of something that God has done in us. In the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, which is still the the standard Book of Common Prayer across the whole Anglican Communion, it says this in the baptismal liturgy. By the baptism of thy well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in the River Jordan, thou didst sanctify water to the mystical washing away of sin. So in a sense, when Jesus goes into the waters of baptism, he sanctifies those waters for us and prepares the way for us to be baptized, prepares the way for God to wash away our sin. And so it's no longer just an outward expression of our repentance. It is a symbol of how God has literally washed away our sin and made us clean because of what Jesus has done for us. Baptism is a sacrament, which means it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And we'll talk about a number of other pieces of what that means in just a moment, but the first piece of that has to do with this washing away of sin. Also with this image of drowning in the waters of baptism. When you are immersed in the waters of baptism, literally your whole body goes under the water and you're pulled back up, and it's a reminder that we die to our old life of sin and we rise to new life in Jesus Christ just as he died on the cross for our sins and was risen to new life. So also we die to our old life of sin and we're risen to new life in Christ. And so this baptism is an outward and visible sign. It's a tangible assurance from God that what what God has promised has in fact taken place. And this is why in our Anglican tradition and in uh, the Roman Catholic tradition, we don't baptize someone more than one time. If you've been baptized once, that's enough, because to do otherwise would be to say that the first time wasn't good enough, that God hadn't fulfilled what he had promised in the first time, and so we need to do it over again. We have other ways of of dealing with that coming back to the Lord. In the Baptist tradition, of course, people do get baptized again as a sign that they have come back to the Lord. And so we have uh, a a sign of reaffirmation of our baptismal vows. We have a, a sign of repentance and renewal and coming back to the Lord We mark that in a different way, but we want to preserve that symbol of baptism as something that God has done in us, something that has made an indelible mark upon us that cannot be taken away from us. And so when we are baptized, we can remember that, or other people remember it for us if we were baptized too young to remember it for ourselves, and we can look back on that and say, I am a baptized person. I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I have risen to new life in him. And so I am no longer a slave to sin. I am walking in Jesus. So in baptism, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. We die to our old life of sin. We rise to new life in Jesus Christ. But there's more. There's more to what baptism offers us. And I think the clues to what baptism offers us come actually in these two signs that are given to Jesus when he is baptized. So going back, first of all, to the voice of God the Father speaking This is my beloved son. When we are baptized, we are adopted as God's children. Jesus didn't become God's son through his baptism. He is eternally begotten of the Father, and that means that he has been the son of God since before time began. There is no time before which Jesus was not the only begotten son of the Father. 
But we become children of God through baptism. We are adopted. We're not God's children naturally. We know this from a verse I've been sharing with you a number of weeks in a row, and that's in the Gospel of John, in the prologue of the Gospel of John, where it says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And what that means is that they weren't children of God before this. Before they had faith in Jesus Christ, they were not children of God. Naturally, they were far away from God, apart from God, made in the image of God, but not children of God. And now when Jesus comes, when we put our faith in him, we have the right to become children of God, to be adopted into God's family. Now, if you know anything about adoption, what you know about adoption is that there's only one very small thing that separates an adopted child from a naturally born child. And that's just a tiny little bit of biology. Aside from that, everything else, for all intents and purposes, is exactly the same for a naturally born child versus an adopted child. They have all the rights and privileges of being a child in that household to those parents. And the same thing is true for us. While we are not naturally God's children, we become God's children through grace because of what he does for us in baptism. He says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. He declares that over us and he makes us his children. We become part of his family. And this is truly remarkable when you think about it. God puts his name on you and you become his children. But the second sign offered to Jesus is the second sign offered to us as well. We are anointed with the Holy Spirit in baptism. Immediately after baptism, we are marked with the sign of the cross on our forehead with the oil of chrism, that same oil that's used when the king or queen is made the king or queen. And I say this, I pray this for the person who's just been baptized. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. But what are we anointed for? There's an alternate prayer that answers that question. As I make the sign of the cross on your forehead, I might say, receive the sign of the cross as a token of your new life in Christ, in which you shall not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified, to fight bravely under his banner against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to continue as his faithful soldier and servant to the end of your days. Amen. What do we get from that? We're anointed really for two things. The first is that we are anointed to live the Christian life. We're anointed to live the Christian life. We are to fight bravely under his banner against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're to turn away from the old life of sin and to fully embrace the new life that we are offered in Christ Jesus. Sin is no longer to be a part of our life because we have something far better. So we turn away from the old life of sin. Is that something you can do by yourself? Absolutely not. You cannot do this by yourself. You need God's power working in you to be able to live a Christian life. If you try to do it on your own, you're just going to trip and fall on your face. And you're going to do it over and over and over and over again. You cannot live a Christian life on your own strength. People have tried for generations to do this, and it always works out the same. It's always a failure. What we need is the Holy Spirit in us, anointing us, to live the Christian life, empowering us, strengthening us, giving us what we need to turn away from sin and to embrace God. So we are anointed to live the Christian life. 
but we're also anointed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. Jesus was sent, and by giving us his Holy Spirit, he sends us too. And so in this prayer we say, you shall not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. We are to be his witnesses. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his own ascension into heaven, he says this to them. First of all, in verse 5, he says a little something about the Holy Spirit and baptism. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Not many days from now. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then when we jump down to verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That's kind of like saying, you'll be my witnesses in Jacksonville, your city. Jerusalem was their hometown. Judea and Samaria is like the the wider region around Jacksonville, kind of northeast Florida up into southern Georgia, and then to the ends of the earth. We are sent by God to be his witnesses, both here at home and also in our region and around the world. We are sent by God. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit to be sent as his missionaries, as his witnesses throughout the world. If that seems daunting, remember again that we are not left alone in this. The Holy Spirit is the one who anoints us, and through that anointing he empowers us to carry out these things that God has called us to do. God never calls you to something that he doesn't also equip you for. And so if you know God has called you to something, you can trust that he will give you everything you need to carry out that thing that he's called you to. That's part of being anointed with the Holy Spirit, which again is given to us through baptism. So through baptism, our sins are washed away. We are adopted as God's children, made his sons and daughters. And we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, which means we are empowered and sent to live the Christian life and to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I want you to imagine for a moment God speaking these same words from Isaiah over you. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him or her, and he or she will bring forth justice to the nations. You have been washed in the waters of baptism, and you have been anointed with God's Holy Spirit so that you may do the work that God has called you to do in this world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for baptism. We thank you that Jesus was willing to submit to baptism to fulfill all righteousness. And we thank you that you offer us new life through baptism. And so we pray, Lord, today that you would help us to remember our own baptisms, to remember who you have made us through adoption, to remember the anointing you've given us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower and equip us to do the work that you've called us to do, that you would help us to be your faithful witnesses in our own town and around the world. Fill us with your Holy Spirit anew, Lord. And help us to live the Christian life that you've called us to. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.